Before, the TWS design process was like trying to build a chip inside a bottle. The new processors coming out, which really raised the bar in terms of features and capabilities. And I think there's going to be a whole set of new audio algorithms powered by AI. So this is kind of what's on the horizon for uh, TWS. On this episode of Embedded Insiders, Brandon is joined by Paul Beckman, CEO at DSP Concepts, who sheds some light on breakthroughs in wireless audio technologies made possible by a partnership with Aroha, whose chips have played a big role in expanding the capabilities of TWS. Then, assistant editor Chad Cox gets into cybersecurity in a breakdown of MITRE's attack framework, which analyzes cyber defense measures and identifies any gaps that need to be filled. But first, Brandon and Rich discuss yet another disruption in the vast world of programming languages. This time, we may be seeing the usurper usurped, with another new language called Carbon creeping toward increasingly popular Rust. Hello, and welcome to the Embedded Insiders. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design, and I'm here with Rich Nass, who's the EVP and Brand Director of Embedded Computing Design. How are you, Rich? Um, doing pretty good, thank you. Um, can I put in a plug for something that I'm working on? Sure. One of my favorite things to do is a teardown article, and I'm working on a teardown on, on an energy energy harvesting sensor that is very cool and um, just has a, a one square inch solar panel that you put this thing on your wall, and it does it'll read temperature, humidity, light acceleration and it has a magnet in there so if you put it next to a door or window you can tell if the door window is open or closed and it transmits out over bluetooth to some other receiver and it does all that without having any power attached to it really yeah over bluetooth yeah yeah they have two options one is a sub gigahertz which they're actually pushing that one more because i think they have their own reason to, to do that but you can't have a bluetooth transceiver in and um, yeah, it's who it is. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, it'll be post if it'll be posted very shortly. It's an ocean. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say. So i I saw some cool stuff from them at Embedded World right up this alley. Yep. Yeah, it's uh I and I love doing teardown, so it worked really well. Um can I do a public service announcement? I guess so. Depends what it is. Every Don't get us in trouble. Well, I'm, 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 this is a public service announcement for the male sex gender. Take the trash out. I got in trouble for that this morning. Just, just a reminder, take the trash well, out. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold Did you take the trash out? I did. No, no, b- before you were told. Obviously not. <laughs> well, then you deserve to get in trouble. <laughs> I... I I do I I stand I stand guilty before before the development community. Is your job description in writing? Um, it was. I I sort of got rid of that when I took the trash out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to have everything documented, as you know, and then and then you're good. Well, speaking of documentation. One of the things that programmers hate to do a lot of times is annotate their code. And let's slide right into some more uh, talk about programming languages. Recently, we discussed 
how rust was sort of having this some pseudo meteoric rise throughout the embedded programming community. But recently, a new like rust replacement almost language called carbon was introduced by Google. So, you know, rust is supposed to be sort of a, you know, the, the next, an evolution of C++ as were many languages before that. And now carbon is a here, which is supported, supposed to be an evolution of, or, or a, a upgrade of rust because it's better suited to migrating large C++ code bases. Can we just stick with something? I mean, yeah, like polyglot world, huh? Well, the answer I would give you to that is if, if you look a little bit into history, why did Android do well? Because it was had a huge backer. It's the same thing with carbon. If, if you throw enough marketing weight at it, um, it should do well. Why did Linux do well? Yeah, I was actually just going to bring that one up. That one's somewhat of an, an anomaly. Back in the day, Linux did really well because it was supported by the anti-Microsoft community, which which just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and that's the reason why it, it did so well. You know, what's what's interesting here is, you know, I, I don't think that when you're Google, you have enough resources that you can pursue projects like this. And I totally understand the need. Um, you know, despite all of the advantages that Rust brings for concurrency and you know developing safely and so on and so forth, um, I can totally understand the need to want a language that's easier to port. You know, large C++ code bases because there's just a lot of that you know out there, and you're probably talking about millions of lines of codes in in some places. But Google's also still using Rust. I mean, obviously it's a massive organization and they're planning to write it into the Linux kernel um, and Android for, from what I'm told, you know, writing, you know, using Rust um, brings Rust support to, to Android devices. So I, I don't know if you're a developer moving forward and you have, you only have so much time, right? What do you choose? What do you learn? At the same time, if you're a hacker, you're saying another new one that haven't safeguarded it yet. Here I come. Right. I mean, you know, this is, this is one of those you know, rust. That's one of the strengths reportedly of rust is that, you know, it's just, it's easier to avoid, like I said, concurrency issues. It's easier to write code securely and safely. Obviously it doesn't protect you from just human error. You know, that's, that's always going to be an issue, but a bunch of the big players at least in the it space meta formerly facebook microsoft google like i just said are all moving towards rust so i guess you know it's uh, one of those cases that competition breeds success but man every time you turn around there's some new option for embedded and iot developers to work with yep very true and the thing we've learned about the community is that they like what they got it may not be the best solution, but I know how to use it. It works good enough and I'm sticking with it. Is that Rust or is it C? Uh, it's in a lot of cases, it's C for sure. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I, I, I think that the truth is last time we spoke about this topic, you know, the reality that, that C will ever be replaced is a kind of sort of a pipe dream. You know, we've got 
you're just you're gonna do a little bit here, a little bit there, a little around the edges, right? You know, some stuff into the kernel in Rust maybe for Linux or Android, but I mean, C's here to stay. So you, you got to know C, and then you know, pick pick one of these others. C, Senor. Next, Brandon and Paul Beckman, CEO of DSP Concepts, talk evolution of TWS and Bluetooth audio capabilities, thanks to DSP's partnership with Fabless IC designer, Aroha. I thought True Wireless was good enough, right? What, I mean, and, and it just seems like maybe one of those, you know, this is put a bunch of engineers in a room and they'll never come out. They'll just keep adding features kind of things, right? So. Where are we today and where are we going? Yeah, so there's going to be this resurgence of uh, kind of features in TWS. Mm -hmm. And what's happening behind the scenes is uh, new processors are being introduced that are much more capable. Before, the TWS design process was like trying to build a chip inside a bottle. You could get it done, but it would take you a really long time. And it's not an enjoyable process at all. And so the new processors coming out, which really raised the bar in terms of features and capabilities, and even like AI. And I think there's gonna be a whole set of new algorithms, audio algorithms powered by AI for both microphone processing and also playback processing. So this is kind of what's on the horizon for uh, TWS. I, I, I don't mean to jump ahead here, but you know, where does DSP Concepts fit in, into this whole equation? Because, I mean, I know I'm familiar with DSP Concepts and your Audio Weaver products. And, you know, how are you helping some of these new processors you know, capture these signals and, and do something that we haven't done before? So Audio Weaver kind of addresses the fundamental development challenges with these products. And, you know, I, I told you it's like building a, a ship inside a bottle. That's kind of, this, you know, the tools that have been provided to date with these processors. And so AudioWeaver really kind of democratizes, it makes it a whole lot easier to essentially develop the products, find new IP, integrate it, tune it up, deploy it, and so forth. And so, you know, we're bringing kind of all the benefits of AudioWeaver, the ease of development, tuning, debugging, and so forth, bringing that to the TWS uh, market. And we're starting out, we're working with Aroha. So I'll probably talk to, talk about them a lot. Uh, they're one of the major suppliers. They have a real great, you know, exciting part that they announced this year. So one of the things as TWS continues to evolve is that you keep seeing a lot of new and different features. And I'm wondering how a tool like Audio Weaver is able to keep pace. As, as you said, you know, you on the one hand, have a bunch of new processors that are better suited to some of the applications and use cases that we're seeing emerge within TWS. But on the same side, you know, you have a bunch of new applications and use cases that you see emerging. Um, does Audio Weaver at its core need to change? Are you adding features or functionality? You know, what does that look like, especially from the developer's perspective? So the main area of investment that we've, that we've been working on is building up a third-party ecosystem. Because hmm. Audio gets so complicated, you can't have like one company be an expert in everything. Okay, hey, who's got the best, you know, noise reduction technology? Who's got the best spatial enhancement? And since things are getting so complicated, you need to be able to find the leaders in each of these areas. 
So we've been building up a third party ecosystem and you know, kind of realizing that, look, our core value is in the tools and the development flow. And let's work with third parties that have exceptional IP. And then have all the IP available inside of Audio Weaver so that it's, uh, you know, easy to evaluate, easy to tune, easy to integrate, and so forth. And that really seems to be resonating with the market. What are some of the most exciting new features that you see coming out of TWS um, in the, you know, now or in the near future, you know, I'm thinking about things like spatial audio. Um, and, and then is Audio Weaver addressing those use cases in particular? Yeah. So a large part of the market is, you know, trying to follow sort of where Apple is already. Okay. And some of the interesting people are saying, hey, what can we do beyond Apple? And these are things that you might not see next year, but maybe the year after. Okay, so let's talk about spatial enhancement. A large part of it is like, hey, you've got to like pull out the spatial cues within the audio. And traditionally that's done with like head related transfer functions and things like that. Okay, or you need an mix algorithm. We're working with people like uh, LG that's developing AI based upmix algorithms. So that, hey, let's take the two channels, most content is stereo left and right. And let's pull out the spatial cues using ML and then re-render that in the right spatial orientation. So instead of requiring new content, you know, multi-channel content, a lot of the legacy stereo content sounds great. One of the things is, is all of this keeps progressing is that I keep going back to, if you're a traditional embedded engineer, you know, obviously ever since we started throwing around acronyms like Internet of Things, your world got changed a little bit, but it's continuing in that way, especially now you're talking about some of these AI algorithms or, or getting involved. You know, the signal processing chain in theory hasn't, hasn't changed, right? But I think that some of the things that you're doing to the signals may have. So can you walk me through what, you know, the then and now kind of, kind of look of, especially inside the TWS ecosystem? So a lot of the core embedded software hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. in terms of drivers and io and bluetooth connectivity and so forth now you're basically you have your audio samples and, and what do you do with that and before it was like dsp heavy okay right. you're doing your multiply accumulates and so forth a lot of the dsps were built for that but now with the ai algorithms you know you've got to support things like you know tensorflow like directly in the end device and so we've actually added those features inside of Audio Weaver. And if you look at most of the algorithms, they're a combination of traditional signal processing. You might call it feature extraction, but you know, you're processing it with FFTs and windows and so forth. Uh, you can do all that in Audio Weaver already. And then we've coupled that with, you know, acceleration of ML like TensorFlow. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of enabling a whole bunch of new algorithms there. And is that the big change in the processors that you mentioned at the bit, at the beginning, you know, chip in the model kind of thing, um, which is that they just have more of this inherent, you know, processing power that is de designed for this type of application? You know, it, it's a couple things. And I'll mm -hmm. talk specifically about this Aroha processor. Mm -hmm. So it supports all the latest Bluetooth standards. Mm -hmm. So the new Bluetooth, you know, low energy. Some of the new features that are coming are like, hey, 
what if we're both watching the same tablet? You know, you can have multiple Bluetooth devices attached. So we're all watching the same movie. So right there, there's innovations on the Bluetooth side, kind of broadcast mode. Then instead of a fixed point processor, a fixed point DSP is kind of high five five. So this is like the latest, you know, and greatest DSP processor, like eight way floating point SIMD calculations. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like grueling in terms of the processing power that's available. It's also in a very small geometry process. So that means you get fast clock speed, low power consumption, and they also put in enough memory so that um, there's kind of room to grow, room to combine features and everything. And then the Hi-Fi core also has the ML acceleration. So it does like the 8-bit data types, the 16-bit data types, and that gives you like another boost in performance for these algorithms. And so this is, really makes this Arohan chip uh, a good fit for the market. So can you go in a little bit more detail about your partnership with them? So we're basically, we have early access to the processors and SDK. We've been working on this part for close to a year. And so what we've been doing is optimizing our Audioweaver libraries for the, for the Hi-Fi 5. It's probably one of our most highly optimized cores. And, you know, that's kind of a hats off to Tensilic for designing a really good, really good processor. What we've also been doing is integrating into the Aroha SDK so that, you know, customers who are building will have a really good kind of out-of-the-box experience. You can do microphone processing, you can do playback processing. We've even implemented things like tuning over Bluetooth. One of the drags before is like, hey, I want to tune my earbud. I've got to crack it open, I've got to solder wires onto the thing, and then connect it back to my PC. And the moment I open it up, it changes the acoustics. Microphones sound different, loudspeakers sound different. Right. So we're doing everything seamlessly through Bluetooth. So just put the earbuds in your ears, attach Audio Weaver, and now you're moving knobs and sliders to uh, you know change the sound there. That's great. I, I mean, a lot of people will think that this is sort of becoming a little bit black magic. You know, you're you're doing debug over over Bluetooth. Does that at all introduce additional potential challenges? You know, the, the engineer in me goes, okay, well, what about the Bluetooth connection, right? Do we have to debug that? So we pretty much worked with Aroha to make sure that that's all kind of rock solid. So what's also different for kind of embedded engineers, and this really gets to the mindset of how people develop products. Traditionally, an embedded engineer writes all the software themselves. Right. Okay, that's typically been the approach. And if you look at, if you compare that with like what happens under Linux or Android, the people on Linux and Android are masters of finding libraries and using other, and building upon other people's stuff. Okay, and so there's a real change in mindset. And I think the old days where the embedded product was small enough that you could write all, all the software yourself is pretty much going away that you've got to get good at, you know, finding solutions, integrating them, pulling together multiple libraries and so forth. How's uh, GSP Concepts enabling that? Are you just saying, this is our niche right here, helping you do that? Or are you integrating, I mean, obviously you integrate with other development environments. How are you, where's your play in that? Yeah, so it's like, you know, working closely with Aroha. Mm -hmm. So we're building upon all their Bluetooth software, they have a real-time operating system and so forth. So we don't get to control everything. And 
you know, I don't want to have to write everything. Right. There's a lot of software in there. You know, a lot of good stuff Aroha has developed that we want to kind of write on top and then focus on the part that we're specifically good at. You know, the best audio design tools. Great. So I think we're kind of wrapping up here, Paul, but I do want to ask Crystal Ball, what do you see for TWS in the next, you know, couple of years? How do you see things evolving? And then what's DSP Concepts role in that going to be? Yeah. So I think there's going to be this constant, you know, addition of features and technology. Right now, I tell people your most complicated audio system is your car. And I think in a year or two, it's going to be, no, your most complicated system is your earbud. And so it's going to be always with you. It's going to be uh, environmentally aware. It'll know where you are. Are you at home? Are you in a car? Are you in the office? You'll have your personal assistant in there. And a lot of new features too, we're seeing Google announcing, you know, things you can do like simultaneous translation. That's like rocket science right now. But I think, you know, a lot of these things with, with ML, better voice experience, clean phone calls, you know, great music playback or movie playback, all of these things are going to be improved. Now, assistant editor Chad Cox discusses MITRE ATT&CK, a framework that utilizes adversary tactics and techniques to identify gaps in cyber defenses so that security teams can implement more robust defense systems. MITRE researchers discovered 321 vulnerabilities in 2021, the highest in over a decade. The year before, flaws jumped from 130 to 206, increase of 58%. 29.9% of those critical vulnerabilities remain unpatched. Of course, these vulnerabilities often provide easy system access to hackers. Unfortunately, industry remains in a reactive state when it comes to cybersecurity. In the absence of threat modeling capabilities, there's really no alternative. The MITRE Adversarial Tactics Techniques and Common Knowledge TAC behavior model is a repository of adversary tactics, techniques, and procedures based on real-world cybersecurity incidents. This knowledge can be used as the foundation for threat models and methodologies. The goal of the MITRE framework is to help security engineers identify gaps in their cyber defenses and demonstrate detection coverage with proven security technologies. The attack framework contains a matrix of focused methods or adversary tactics that hackers have used in their attempts to compromise systems and their data. Its behavior model contains the following core components. One, tactics denoting short-term adversary goals during an attack. Two, techniques describing how adversaries achieve tactical goals. Three, documented adversary usage of techniques and other metadata. For security professionals, this model can be used for adversary emulation, red teaming, behavior analytics, defensive gap assessment, SOC maturity assessment, cyber threat intelligence enrichment, and the implementation of more robust system security. The industry agnostic attack framework supports environments such as Windows, Linux, Mac OS, and more. Of course, the cyber threat landscape is dynamic. And as security threats evolve, so too must the frameworks designed to detect and prevent them. To truly leverage the MITRE framework, we must constantly add custom anomaly-based use cases, which are then tagged in line with MITRE tactics and techniques to improve the overall detecting coverage. This was said by Diado Wadeker, Manager of Global SOC at Security HQ. 
The MITRE ATT&CK Framework Behavior Model can help guard against changing threat landscapes by supporting features like behavior traffic analytics. However, supporting that means constantly providing the model with your own system data and comparing it against the attack knowledge base. When used in conjunction with security information and event management, MITRE ATT&CK collects log data from endpoints, networks, and cloud services, identifies the threats, and maps them to MITRE ATT&CK. Changes to security posture are then implemented in the security tools that provide log data. It can also combine with endpoint detection and response solutions to map events observed by endpoint agents, so security teams can determine the phase of threat, assess associated risk, and prioritize their response. These allow organizations protecting ICS systems to stay up to date as possible, but integrating the framework with such tools requires manual mapping and integration. A recent partnership between Security HQ and Sentinel One accomplishes this by integrating the former's managed endpoint security service with the latter's technology for detecting signature based and unknown behavioral threat across all known MITRE ATT&CK TTPs. If a threat is detected, the solution also supports Windows remediation features and rollback protections against alteration, detection, or encryption of sensitive data caused by security breaches. Security HQ's 24-7 SOC managed endpoint service, powered by Sentinel-1, is delivered through a single agent that tracks code in real time while active. EDR applies ML-based behavior scoring to all events to check the root cause, says Islam Rashad, MSSP Solutions pre-sales for Security HQ. Getting proactive against cybersecurity threats is now easier with the MITRE ATT&CK framework. According to Islam Rashad, Deep investigation of the storyline saves time for analysts as well as reduces dwell time without fine-tuning to promptly understand the full chain of detective threat. This empowers a proactive response to threats to effectively suppress the spread of any infiltration and place at the source of compromise. Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For daily news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website embeddedcomputing.com.